Welcome back to How They Train. Today, I'm joined by two big, big dogs in the ultra marathon and trail running world. Firstly, one of my good mates, former work colleague at the running company, and arguably Australia's best trail runner, Blake O's. Blake, mate, how's it going? Good, mate. Thanks for having me along. And our other guest is one of the best ultra marathoners and trail runners in the world, Hayden Hawks. Blake and I were messaging a few weeks ago and talking about Blake's training for some trail races he's got coming up. And the conversation eventually led to us talking about how Hayden routinely does 200 kilometer plus run weeks in training. Then we started talking about the crazy volume ultramarathon runners do and how wild the concept of running 160 kilometers through the mountains is. Then we thought we should get Hayden on the podcast and the three of us chat all things ultramarathons and trail running, especially from the perspective of two guys who do it as well as anyone. So, uh, Hayden, that's a, a bit of a weird way to find out we were talking about you behind your back. But uh, firstly, thanks so much for joining us. And, and secondly, can you confirm whether what Blake is telling me about your weekly mileage is actually true? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a little early here in the U.S., but I, I got up just for you guys. So <laughs> I'm happy to be here on the, the podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's true what Blake's saying. Um, I regularly run close to 200K, if not a little bit more, in some of my uh, – the, the big parts of my training blocks, I'd say. And uh, wh- why is that mainly? Because I would say even amongst, you know, uh, professional runners, that's quite high mileage, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I, I would say, you know, I've just seen that it works for me. Um, I, I, in college, surprisingly, I was running around the same type of mileage. Um, we came from a really high mileage program. Um, you guys might've heard of Cam Levins. He was a two-time national champion at Southern Utah University, uh, Bowerman Award winner. Well, anyways, I, I ran with Cam in college, and, and Cam was running upwards of, you know, oh, that being kilometers, close to like 300 kilometers a week at times <laughs> in college and uh, doing multiple workouts on that as well. And, you know, he, he ended up winning the national championship in the 5K and the 10K, ran incredibly fast. And our coach, after that, he got kind of all hyped up on the high mileage and was trying to do it with all of us. So I, I started running 200K plus in college and worked really well. You know, I, I had some pretty fast times, but to be honest with you, I was probably a little overtrained in college, um, especially for the track. You know, I just wasn't needed on the track. But then uh, when I became a pro, I started doing it, doing it again. And I just seen that like I was excelling. You know, I was winning races. I was pretty consistent. I was uh, running faster than everyone else. So I was like, well, it's working for me. And I've kind of seen that my sweet spot is right there at 200K. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't do that all the time, though, of course. You know, that's only in, in my big weeks in training. So, like, let's go into that a little bit more. How, how many weeks per year, roughly, and, and, like, in what blocks would you be running sort of 200 plus Ks a week? Yeah. So if I'm getting ready for like a big ultra, let's say, so for right now I'm getting ready for Western States 100. That's going to be my big one in the end of June. And, uh, I like to do around a a 10 to 12 week training block going in. I've, I've seen that that's perfect for me. Uh, actually 10, 10 is about perfect. I feel like if I go a little bit more than 10, um, I tend to overtrain just a little bit, you know, I'm pushing just, I'm pushing the mileage a bit, you know, and, uh, you have to be a little careful with that. So yeah, in a block of training, I'm going to, I'm going to gradually build up, you know, I have periodized training where I'm building up to that mileage and then I'll peak out at that mileage, usually around 200 K probably 
three to four weeks. Um, and then I'll go into a taper, uh, going into the race. And so say I string together, you know, um, four of those training blocks a year and then have an off season of a month or so. So yeah, I'm probably running, uh, was that like for a 12, 16 weeks or so, I'd say, um, 12 to 16 weeks a year at 200 K plus. And something I'm really curious about inside that is you're obviously, like you just said, training for Western States at the moment, which, um, I'm assuming most people listening are aware, but if not, that's a, it's a hundred mile race or 160 kilometers. So inside those 200 kilometer weeks, does it sort of look pretty similar to someone training for, you know, a standard road marathon or because of the length of the races you're training for, are you also doing some ridiculously long, long runs? Yeah, it's, you know, everybody takes a little bit of different approach to it. Some people love the doubles, you know, some people like singles um, with, with most of their runs. You know, if you look at guys like Jim Walmsley, he's real, he's hardly running any doubles, you know, and sometimes he's running more than me, you know, he's running more than 200 K a week. And, uh, for me, I I've kind of seen that I do like to mix in a little bit of both. So like on, on some of my really big weeks when I'm trying to get very specific to race day, um, I'll do a lot of singles in those runs. Um, and you know, I also take a rest day per week. So I'm doing that all that 200 K in six days, most of the time. Um, so yeah, you, you, those are, you know, there's a lot of long runs in there. And then some of my biggest long runs, like for instance, Western States, my biggest long run will be, um, close to probably 70 to 80 K, um, going in. So that will be three weeks out. I'll do a rim to rim to rim, uh, crossing in the grand Canyon. And so that's, uh, you know, 70 something kilometers, um, with close to 3000 meters of elevation gain. So that'll be my biggest run going in. And then I'll, I'll run a 50 K the week before that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm doing some pretty big runs, but for the most part, like with workouts, with how I, uh, put the mileage together for most of the weeks, it's similar to a marathoner. And you'll have to excuse my ignorance a little bit because I know a lot about the road running world, but uh, particularly through my time knowing Blake, I'm very out of my depth in the in the ultra world. So I will have a lot of very newbie questions. For, for example, um, people training for a marathon, right? They would be quite stressed if they hadn't ran, you know, somewhere within four kilometers of marathon distance. Like most people will go out and run 38 to 42 Ks at least once uh, in their marathon block. But your longest run that you will do for a 160 kilometer race is not even half that distance at about 70 K. So can you sort of talk to me about why that is? And then when you're actually out there on like in, on race day, um, how does it feel when you, your longest run has been 70 K and you get to that and you're like, yeah, well, I've still got, you know, 90 K left. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just can't run, you know, a hundred miles going into a hundred mile race. Like, you know, a hundred mile distance takes a lot out of you, especially when you're running at a very high level, especially in a race like Western States, it's really hot. And, uh, you know, you have to recover for months after a race like that, you know, when you're pushing the limit. And so you just can't realistically go out there and run, you know, 80, hundred miles, you know, leading into a hundred mile race. And so, yeah, you, you just trust in the process. Um, there's balance, especially the longer you go, the more fresh you have to be is what I've seen. 
And so there's, there's balance in the training to where, yes, you want to get fit. You want to prepare for the demands as much as possible, but you also don't want to overdo it to where you're, you're not fresh going in because if you're just mentally and physically exhausted going into a hundred miles, it's really hard to get through it. You know, that's a long race. You know, when those hard times come, it's going to be pretty much impossible to push yourself through it. And so, yeah, um, I, I would say what I do is, is I have faith. I, I trust in the process, you know, that, that I'm going through. But I also remember the previous races I've had or the, you know, the races in the past, like this isn't my first hundred mile race. And so, like, I know I can finish the distance because I've done it before. You know, the body's pretty smart. You know, it, it, it remembers a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I've done, you know, numerous hundred kilometers. I've done a couple hundred milers. Like my body knows what it feels like and it knows how to get back into that mode and, and ready to finish. And then a sort of another question I have specifically for you is, is you're not one of those, those like trail guys who isn't very good on the road. So goes, well, I'm going to go over here and do a trail race where it's not timed or it is timed, but the course is so hilly that the time doesn't mean much. Like, you have a, a 28, uh, 50, 10 KPB and, and a 13, 55 KPB. You're a legit runner. Um, so why did you decide to make the shift into the trail slash ultra world? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I was just talking about this yesterday uh, with a friend of mine. And we were talking about, you know, how, how cutthroat track and field can be at the collegiate level. And especially the and, and in road running, too, professional road running. It's... Uh, it's a little different community. It's, it's a different vibe, you know, to it. Um, trail running is a little bit more laid back. You know, you're up in the mountains, you're enjoying it. Um, I, I'm not saying that road runners don't enjoy it, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a lot more enjoyable for me to be up in the mountains and, and to be on the trails. And I'd say, yeah, you know, I, I had the credentials to be pretty good on the road if I wanted to pursue it uh, post-college, but I decided, you know, I just, I felt a little burnt out from, you know, running so much track and road and the same routes every single day. Um, you know, I grew up near Zion national park, near the grand Canyon. I loved being outdoors. I loved being, you know, on the trails. I loved hiking a lot when I was a, a kid. And, uh, I just got to a point where I was like, Hey, I'm going to go try a little bit of trail running, see what it's like, because I can mix my love for the outdoors, my love for the trails. Uh, and running together I can mi mix two passions and see what happens and uh, I just fell in love with it you know from the, the first trail race I signed up for the first ultra I did I just completely fell in love with the sport the community the vibe around it the lifestyle and uh, that's kind of why I've pursued this it's just it it's me you know it, it, it fits my personality and uh, yeah I, I just really love it yeah, I, I just jump in there. That's yeah, it's interesting to hear hear you go through that and pretty much you know explain why you know why you sort of moved away from that road track type background and, and wanted to go over to trail because um, obviously I'm I'm not at your sort of level, Aiden, but I think there's a lot that I can relate to about that as well. In that um, you know I wanted to sort of mix my love of doing you know, endurance type sport coming from a cycling background um, and then wanted to be able to, you know, pu push that over into my love of the outdoors and sort of see where that could take me. And trail running is pretty much perfect for that. Um, it's one of the, that's probably one of the most in-depth ways that you can see all these amazing places that you, most people just look at from the car. 
Um, but, and like you said, it's a, it's a pretty relaxed atmosphere. Um, I haven't had a whole lot to do with uh, the road scene to be on. I, a, a little bit, probably not as much as you have, Hayden. Um, but yeah, the whole trail scene is just so much more relaxed. Um, you know, it's so it's so cruisy. I would I would liken it to road cyclists versus mountain bike riders. Um, so much more relaxed, so much more cruisy. But in the in the same breath, as you move up in the level of competition and you go to those bigger races, there's still guys like yourself, Hayden, that you know they're turning up to race. Like it's it's no joke when you're turning up to something like Western States or UTMB or you know formerly like San Fran. 50 mile, you know, races like that, you're not turning up and just going for a, you know, there's not like going to be one fast guy like yourself turning up ready to run fast. Like these days as more and more people are moving across. There's, there's going to be, you know, 20, 30 guys that are, you know, re ready to race and really ready to butt heads and go fast. Um, so with that, what's it, what would you say it's like, Aiden? I mean, I have raced you once before and you thoroughly kicked my ass. Um, what would you say it's like now at that, at that higher end, like turning up to a race and knowing that, you know, you're running against guys like Jim Wormsley, you're running against guys like, uh, Killian, Francois, like Stian, all those type of guys. What's it like going into the race and knowing, you know, they're the kind of guys you're up against and, and that you're actually going to be vying with those types of talents for the win. Yeah. And, and I guess, yeah, I should, I should bounce back a little bit, you know, don't get me wrong. Trail running is very, very competitive. And I think, you know, when I was in college, I kind of looked at trail running when I was running on the roads, I should say, I, I was looking at trail running and being like, it's just a bunch of slow old timers out there, you know, hiking <laughs> on the trails. Like, you know, what? That, that's, that's not going to be fun. You know, like, why, why would I do that? Um, luckily I had a buddy who convinced me to, to sign up for my first trail races. And, and, uh, when I got into the sport, I was like, wow, this is extremely competitive. You know, we're out here pushing the limits, you know, these guys are legitimate athletes and, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It was pretty cool to see that. And I think that's kind of what kept me in the sport was like, not only can I have this love and, and passion for the outdoors and, and get it here in the trail community, but I can also push my limits and train hard and, and really, you know, have a lot of competition. And yeah, to answer your question, like it's, it's only getting more, you know, like the competition is getting higher. Um, you're seeing a lot more of these really fast collegiate guys and, and guys from, you know, the, the world champion ski mountaineering background and cycling background, you know, getting into trail running and pushing the limits, the sports just growing, it's getting so much faster you know, when I first got into the sport six years ago, you'd show up at a starting line and there'd maybe be like, you know, five to 10, maybe 15 guys that, that were really good and that could possibly win the race. And now, you know, you're showing up at some of these races, even some of the local races and you're getting, you know, 20 plus guys, um, you know, UTMP, you're getting hundreds of guys that are just legit athletes, you know, really, really strong runners and able to just really push the limits and, and possibly come out with the win. So it's really cool to see in the sport. Um, it's cool to see the, the, the level of talent coming in and uh, it pushes me, it pushes me to work even harder and to train harder and to make sure I'm ready, you know, when I, when I line up on the, the starting line. 
this conversation sort of reminds me a little bit of um, Hayden. You're probably not aware, but uh, I have a lot of triathletes, um, professional triathletes, on this show. And I would say the same way cyclists talk about triathletes is the way that road runners, you know, who are at the sort of better end of road running, talk about trail running a little bit. So, and I always think to myself, well, if only these cyclists talking like that knew that over a you know ninety or one hundred eighty k TT that some of these professional triathletes are, are close to the best in the world, you know, including cyclists. Um, so probably my big question I have and, and something I've always been curious about but never known the answer to and would like to get the take of someone of your calibre, how would someone like a, a Kip Chogi or, you know, someone at the very top end of road running, how would they compare if you put all of the best trail slash ultra runners in a 50k ultra race pretty hilly sort of you know mountainous terrain how would someone like a kipchoge go would he win it yeah um i think kipchoge would would do really really well in the ultra scene um but i'll I'll be honest with you there's a big difference between a race like utmb and a race like western states or a flat you know 100k or flat 100 miler kipchoge would completely dominate a flat 100k or 100 miler i mean he could break the world record easily um you know he could win a race i think like western states that's very very runnable but it's different when you get into a race like utmb where where you're having to use poles you know you're having to put a a pretty heavy pack on your back um you know you're having to hike for half the race you know that's using different muscles there's a different way to train for those things you know we even see it with with guys like me you know i I do really well in the the runnable stuff where I can utilize my speed and really push the limits with that, um, especially for the trail world. But when I sign up for races like UTMB, I mean, um, Madeira Island, you know, Trans Grand Canaria, some of these really mountainous hiking type races where the demands are even higher, you know, the times out there are, are a lot longer. It's different. The fields become more leveled. And you're seeing um, that that speed doesn't necessarily play a big role, you know, when it comes to that type of stuff. You have to train completely different for those. There's there's a reason why guys like Jim Walmsley, he, he's moving out to Europe so that he can get more involved with that type of training because um, that's a very European style of training. And, uh, yeah, so I would say – I think Kipchoge could dominate the flat stuff and the runnable stuff and would love to see, you know, somebody like that get into the sport and see what, what limits they can push. But yeah, I, I think it would be a, a, there's a big learning curve with a race like UTMB and I, I don't think he would win it right away. And something that I want to ask both of you guys, because um, you, you will both be able to speak about it is when you're training with, with groups of runners and let's say you go for a long run with guys who are running on the road um, and, and it's a hilly long run. Do you guys find that over the steeper terrain, you know, over hills, maybe on some, if you're running through the trails on some technical descents, do you find that um, in a group of, of like guys training for the road that, that you're much faster than them just in general day-to-day training in that situation? Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, <clears throat> I mean, just as you were talking about, you know, asking about Kipchoge being whether he would be, competitive um and sort of the and Hayden touched on you know different types of runners coming across I think that's 
you know, that's the most relevant thing is that there's within trail running, there's so many different elements to it. And there are so like so many of the top guys have really different strengths. Um, like to go back to your question, like if, if I was say, if I was going down the surf coast, um, Geelong and running with the guys down there, for example, you know, we might go on like a moderate hilly long run. Like I would say that I'd always be, you know, pretty comfortable on the hills with, with those guys. Um, but the biggest advantage I would say, I think most trail runners would have over road guys would be descending and anything technical. Um, that's really something that you have to practice and that you need to, you know, you need to build, build, really build skill and technique on because that's a place where I think, you know, you can absolutely blow the doors off a road runner going, going down a technical downhill. Um, like you, I've, I've always found that most road runners really can actually run uphill pretty well. Um, you know, it's, it's all about economy. Um, if you've got economy on flat, you're likely going to be able to run most uphills until it gets really steep. Um, and then like Hayden said, that's where that hiking comes in and that's where it just becomes a different game altogether. Um, but yeah, it's, I think the biggest differentiating you know, factor is probably descending capability more, more than anything. Um, yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Hayden? Yeah, I agree, man. Yeah. It's definitely when it becomes technical, you know, descending, like I have a guy that I train with out here, you know, he's an amazing road runner. He's like a, a 212 marathoner or something like that really fast. You know, I do some workouts with him and, uh, you know, we're able to stay with each other, you know, pretty good on, on the roads. And, and, and especially when we get start doing like hill repeats and stuff like that, you know, he, he's right with me, you know, on that type of stuff. But then I've taken him out on a couple trail runs and <laughs> it's a whole different game. I mean, he, he gets really, really timid on the trails and he's just tiptoeing on the descents, you know, scared he's going to fall, scared he's going to hurt himself. And it's, it's like a, a lot slower run usually for me uh, when we're out on the trails, but yeah, it's uh, you know, that's where it comes in. That technical ability is such a key thing in trail running, especially being able to do it over the course of like a hundred miles or, or whatever, you know, usually in trail running, you go more off of hours, the distance. So like over like a 20 hour race, let's say, I mean, your, your muscles, your body's got to be used to being able to be efficient on that technical terrain, or you're going to blow up pretty early in a race like that. And so it, it's important to, to be technically savvy and, and a lot of trail runners, you'll see have that ability. And because of the amount of hills that you guys are running um, in your races and the amount of elevation that you guys have in your, in your races, do you guys have to focus on weight a lot more? Because I know for me, the heavier I am, the harder it is to run uphill, period. It, really, no matter how fit I am. Um, and then the, on the other end of that, the lighter I am, the easier I run uphill. And, and you know, you're talking about having to run 3,000 metres elevation in a race. And, and you know, I, I'm knowing Blake as well as I do, he's probably weighs about 42 kilos on a, on a heavy day. So do you guys have to focus on that? Or do you think one of the reasons why you're, you know, uh, why, why you've sort of been naturally drawn into that kind of racing is because your body type already suited it? Uh, yeah, it's not something that I, I ever, I, I honestly don't remember the last time that I weighed myself. Um, it's not really, I mean, it's all, it's just like, it's like anything. It's like a car. It's like a cyclist. Um, you know, it's all about power to weight as to how fast it's going to go. But I think that focusing on that kind of stuff too much is probably more, of a, of an in, like it's going to inhibit your training more than that 
that then it's going to give like I wouldn't want to be focusing on you know trying to lose a kilogram for the sake of the the power to weight increase of that um I think when you're running enough and you're doing enough hours per week it's just not something you even have like the hardest thing is keeping the fuel up you know um like if like Hayden said <laughs> if, if you've seen Hayden he's uh there's all of about his calf circumference is about 10 centimeters. He weighs probably less than me, Jack, <laughs> and he's taller than me. <laughs> um, yeah, but he has like a you know, beautiful gait, just flows. And it's because, you know, he's light, he's got perfect mechanics for it. But it's, um, yeah, I don't think it's worth really stressing over something like that because, <laughs> you know, throughout the race, you're going to, you're actually, you know, probably end up losing some, some races. They actually weigh you at aid stations because they don't want you to lose too much weight. <laughs> if you weigh less than Blake Hayden, then that means that together, I probably weigh more than both of you. <laughs> to be honest with you though, I probably eat more than Blake. <laughs> I might weigh less than Blake, but I eat so much, man. Yeah. I, I'm same with Blake. I, I don't focus on it. You know, I, I honestly actually, it's, it's actually better for me to be a little bit heavier or or just you know um eating maybe a little bit more sweets and stuff like that at the beginning of a training block because you know i don't want to be too thin i don't want to be um you know too skinny going into into a a big part of my training block but also into a race because trail running it's really important to be strong too you know you have to have a lot of power you have to have a lot of strength and so you want that in trail running. Um, like I said, I don't focus a lot on it, but um, honestly, I feel like trail runners actually might burn a lot more than uh, most road runners. So it's okay to eat a bit more and to, you know, have a little extra weight on you because, you know, you're, you're training longer as a trail runner most of the time, because if you're out on the trails, you know, a typical, let's say, you know, 20 kilometer run is going to take you, you know, at least, you know, one and a half, I guess more, maybe, maybe twice as much because of the elevation gain that you're putting in as well. The races are longer, the training weeks in, 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 um, if you measure it by time is longer. And so it's okay to have a little extra weight on you, I would say. Yeah. And then with that, I guess the, the next logical place to take this is, is eating during your races. Um, I, I just don't even understand how you would go about that because you're out there for so long, 160 K. How do you even begin to plan your fueling? How often does that go wrong? I know for me, like I'll wake up for a Sunday long run occasionally and I'll get 14 K and I'll be like, Oh, this is, this is not going to end well in, in two or three more K. So I can't imagine what getting that right with right like is when you've got 140, 150 more k to add onto that. So, yeah, how big a how big a factor is thinking about that and 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 practicing that and and planning that? I reckon Hayden, you're probably in the best spot to talk about uh, 100 mile stuff. There, um, I haven't gone that far yet, and I don't know when I will. So, yeah, take us through your take us through your kind of n- nutrition plan. Um, and actually adding on to that, add in another factor. So something like Western state, which is what you're training for. You guys mentioned earlier, it's Jack mentioned earlier, it's 160 Ks. It's actually a net downhill race, which sounds easy. Uh, sounds easier than net uphill, but it is definitely harder in my eyes because it just like, it's the opposite contraction to what your legs are used to. It just beats you up bad. Um, and it's notorious for being super hot, like 
temperatures regularly, you know, throughout the middle of this race are 34 to 40 degrees. Um, and that's not like, it's not an exaggeration. Like it is genuinely like stifling heat. And that really <laughs> has an effect on the composition of your stomach as well and, and how it takes food. So yeah, I, I mean, take us through what you would, how your approach would be Hayden for a race that's that long and that's in the heat as well. Like how you keep cool? Do you change things for that versus like a UTMB? Um, yeah. Talk us through it a bit. Yeah. Like the, the racing, a fueling strategy is going to be completely different for a race like UTMB that ends for Western States. Cause like you said, Blake, you know, it is net downhill. Um, it's very unrunnable track. You know, most of the, the race is really, really runnable. And, uh, I mean, it still has 5,000 meters of elevation gain, but, but all that 5,000 meters is very runnable, um, still. And then, um, the heat, you know, the heat in there as well. So yeah, you have to, mostly do liquid calories at a race like Western States because you are pushing it, you know, you're running a pretty fast pace and that's what it comes down to is, is, you know, if you're hiking, if you're going a little bit slower, you can take in a little bit more solid foods and you can, you're able to digest it, you know, a little bit easier, you get a little bit more blood flow going to the gut. And so it's able to, you know, break down, break it down and, and help you be able to digest it a lot easier. So a race like UTMB, for instance, I would eat a lot of more, more real food, you know, just like solids. Um, you go into an aid station, you know, you could maybe eat a, the burrito or, <laughs> you know, or, or pasta or something like that, because, you know, you're out there for 20 plus hours, you know, you're going to get hungry. Um, you know, it's, it's okay to get some real food in there and you're going to digest it, especially like, cause you look at most of the aid stations are at the bottom in the valleys. And then, so right out of that aid station, you're climbing up a, a really big climb, you know, 10 kilometer climb, let's say. And so you're going to be hiking quite a bit of that. And so your, your body's able to digest that food that you took in at the aid station. Um, a race like Western States, it's not like that. You know, it's go, go, go all the time. You're running the entire way. You're pushing, you know, you, you're sometimes running some, some pretty fast miles, especially on some of those runnable downhills. And so I've seen, and, you know, Jim Walmsley, three-time champion, who I trained with a bit last year and course record holder, would tell you it's mostly a liquid diet. You know, you're taking in a lot of uh, gels, you're taking in a lot of uh, drink mix, stuff like that, that's going to be able to digest a lot easier. And so um, I would say the base of my fueling strategy with some of the products I use, the, the drink mixes, the gels is is similar for both, but for a race like UTMB, I'm going to add in a little bit more solids for a race like Western States. I might add in an extra gel um, and keep it more liquid based to make sure that I can keep the energy up, but also uh, digest and, and not have any stomach issues in a race like that. Hey, so Hayden, how many gels would you have over 160 Ks? Yeah. So I go by hours. So a race like Western States can take me close to 15 hours let's say um hopefully faster <laughs> no but uh 15 hours so on a 15 hour race i'm going to take probably two gels an hour so that's 30 gels and then also going to be drinking 500 mils or so maybe a little bit more when it gets really hot of drink mix uh per hour so yeah that's you know, 15, 500 milliliter bottles of drink mix and 30 gels. Wow. 
That's actually crazy. It's hard to fathom, isn't it? Yeah. But with that too, like taking in, you know, you need to be able to tailor that to the conditions as well, don't you, Hayden? Like yeah. you can, like you said, it's with something like Western States, it's just so like you can almost guarantee it's going to be hot. So you can drink a lot because your body's actually still really wanting the hydration, like it needs the fluid. But if a lot of people, like believe it or not, people can be running a hundred mile race. It's not, it's, it, you know, it's not hot. The conditions are a lot cooler and they'll, they'll actually over drink and end up with hyponatremia. Um, like they've drank so much trying to hydrate when they actually don't need to, that they can get themselves to that position. Um, it's not a problem at Western States, but there's, you know, it's, it's, I suppose what I'm getting at is that it's, it's a fine balance too, because you, it can really go wrong with trying to have too much, too much fluid or try to take in too many calories each hour, which is where making those plans personal is, um, you know, individual basis is, is, is really important. Yeah. So I think what's like, what would be really interesting is, is Hayden, could you tell me about a time that it hasn't gone right for you? Yeah. I was about to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the worst you've, what's the worst you've fucked up your nutrition on a race day? Yeah. I mean, like Blake said, you have to pay attention to, you know, the variables with weather, um, with how the race runs and different things like that. So don't think the same nutrition plan is going to be great for every single race, you know, make sure that you, are focusing on that you know i i've i've actually ran into um uh hypernitremia so there's hyponitremia which is too much you know water um compared to electrolytes you know completely diluted your system but then i've i've done the opposite where i've put in too many electrolytes in and not enough water um that was a race uh, i i ended up winning the race still but i completely collapsed at the finish line had to be rushed into the medical tent and they had to uh pump um some water into me and, and rehydrate me because I was, I was, I had way too many electrolytes. You know, I started getting really dizzy, started throwing up all over the place, started slurring my words. And I just couldn't like function. My body completely shut down the last like 10 kilometers of the race. I, to be honest with you, I don't even remember the last 10 K and that was, that was 2018 at Lavaredo ultra trail, which is in Italy, uh, 120 or 100, almost 130 kilometer race. Um, yeah, so that, that was one time I, I really messed up my nutrition. So from then on, I actually, that was when I was only doing drink mix and, and gels and, and maybe a little real food in that race. Um, but I, now I actually carry one, uh, drink mix bottle and I carry one just bottle of water and I rotate drinking each one. That way I can keep myself balanced. So I'm getting electrolytes and water in. So I don't fall into a hyper or a hyponitremia. And so that's uh, definitely something that a lot of people run into is they, they either dilute or they, they put too many electrolytes into their system. And so you need to keep that balanced. Um, and that would really, that really helps your, your muscle function and it helps your body to be able to, you know, keep that uh, homeostasis. And, and so I've uh, really uh, focused on that a lot over the years. Um, I ran into numerous uh, issues. I've, I've been dehydrated. You know, I've not taken in enough calories because I just couldn't get anything in and, and had issues with that. You know, a lot of the times I've been able to fight through it. But, yeah, I've learned from every single race. And that's the thing is if you can learn from your races, if you can pay attention to the demands of each race um, and really train with it is what I would say as well. You know, the thing about like 
you know, taking in 30 gels and, and all this drink mix in, in Western States thing that people don't realize is I've trained with that, you know, in my long runs in that 70 kilometer I do in the grand Canyon, I'm doing the exact same type of training I would for race day so that my gut, my mind, everything's ready and prepared for race day, uh, taking in that nutrition. And then also I, I do it every long run, every workout I do, I'm doing some form of nutrition to make sure that I'm ready for it and that I've trained my gut and I've trained, trained my body to be able to take in that, that amount. And uh, so that's what I would say is, is train with it and, and make your own nutrition plan and, uh, and see what works for you because different things work for different people. And obviously like, I don't know if I'm just a weirdo, but I'm, I'm pretty sure Blake probably is, is thinking the exact same thing. Um, I, I know myself that, that even like I sort of talked about on sort of 16 to, to 30K long runs, I've ran into oh, 200 different times where my stomach has just been completely messed up or I've had to duck off to the bush, you know, three times in the, the last 5K of a run. So how, how, like, how often during a race of that length uh, are you having stomach issues? How many races have you had where it's just completely derailed your race? Like are you ducking off into the – the, you know, the bushes and, and, and taking like a shit on the side of the, the mountain very often. Like h- how big an impact does that play on your racing? Not often anymore. You know, at the beginning of my career, yes, I ran into some more stomach issues, uh, bathroom issues, you know, stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but honestly, I've, I've had most of my races now, like <laughs> this is surprising, but like I'll go out and run, you know, these 15 hour races or 20 hour races and I won't, go to the bathroom at all. Um, maybe I'll, I'll take some peas, I, I would say, you know, but I won't ever take a shit, you know, on these, on these runs. And it's surprising, <laughs> but uh, the body kind of like is using most of the resources you're putting in it, you know, if you think about it. And so it really, it, it doesn't have a lot to discard. Um, but yeah, anyways, um, at the beginning of my career, I ran into a lot more issues with that. But a lot of that, the reason being, and, and this is what I've learned over the years, is I was going out too fast, you know, and I wasn't training enough with my nutrition. And also I wasn't um, starting the nutrition early enough in the race. So I would, I would be pushing and pushing and pushing for a couple hours. Then I'd start putting the nutrition in. And, the, and because I hadn't trained with it and because like I'd already gone out too fast and, and my, you know, I'd taken all the blood away from my gut like my body just couldn't handle what it was I was putting into it. And then all of a sudden my stomach would get hurt and I would just be done. Um, you know, but now like, because I've trained more with it, because I, I learned, I've learned how to, you know, control my effort better at the beginning of races. Um, I'm able to handle the, the nutrition a lot better and, uh, be more consistent with that. And, And really I haven't ran into a lot of stomach issues since, um, and, and I have a kind of routine that I do as well with, with my daily nutrition, making sure that I'm not getting too much fiber in, you know, the days leading up to the race, but also that I'm keeping my, my daily nutrition pretty normal. Um, I'm not eating different foods or carbo loading, which is, is kind of a fake thing actually. Um, and I'm, I, I shouldn't say fake. I, I say I'm always carbo loading, but not just carbo loading the day before the race, because stuff like that can completely derail your, your, uh, your nutrition plan and can completely derail your race. 
Yeah, I remember actually, Hayden, when you were nice enough to have me at your place uh, in Utah in 2017. I actually remember watching you skull a few, like a fair few cans of like guava syrup. Um, <laughs> Like just like I'd never even seen this stuff before. We you know we were sitting down having dinner. Uh, it was awesome. Hospitality was amazing, by the way. And then Hayden just starts cracking out these cans of guava syrup, and I was like, "What is that shit? Is this the stuff I need to be?" Like I just had my my ass completely handed to me by Hayden at the San Fran Fifty Miler like a week prior. And I was like, "Do I need to I get some of this shit imported to Australia? Do do I do I need this guava syrup?" You thought there was EPO oh, in the guava like, syrup. This, stuff is, this stuff's rocket fuel. Like I saw Hayden that at that race, I saw him for five minutes at the start in the 80K race, 50-mile race, and then never saw him again for the rest of the day. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, I was like, it might, might be the guava syrup, but I still haven't tried it. Maybe it's time to start. But uh, that's, um, you know, I'll... Yeah, it's interesting, like what, what you were saying, Hayden, though, about, you know, going out fast in races and not being relaxed enough and then getting ill effects from that. Yeah, it's, I can completely relate to that. Um, that was actually case in point that at San Fran that year, the, the endurance challenge, that was one year when I yeah, didn't necessarily have great legs, but nutrition was a super relaxed, had practiced it perfectly in training and just had it absolutely dialed. And that was just one thing that I felt super confident about and super positive about all day was that everything was going down as it should, like just never had a stomach issue and hydration was perfect. So, and that plays a huge role in, you know, these super long races where you're out there, like, and you are genuinely running pretty hard for, you know, four, five, six plus hours. Like it's not, you're not just out for a jog, like, these, these, some of these races, like proper barn burners and yeah, like if, if you're getting your nutrition, right, it's just a huge factor in keeping your, keeping your head on your shoulders late in the race. Um, if you are getting lower blood sugar, you you know, getting a bit dehydrated, it's really easy to get negative when things start to get hard. And rather than, you know, pushing into it and going, going harder, you sort of, you can have the tendency to back off. Um, and then on the, you know, on the flip side, in another race I did in France, actually, things quite literally went to shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I wasn't even my nutrition that day. Actually, I got sick the week the week leading into the race. Um, this was the World oh. Championships in 2014 in Chamonix, and I thought my stomach was better, so you know, I started race. Well, I, I finished the race as well, but. At about, you know, 50K in, I was like, oh, my stomach, it's starting to go. And yeah, some, you know, there's probably some poor bystanders, but I had no, <laughs> I think it was like Paula Radcliffe style in the middle of nowhere in the, in the French Alps. Like there's people everywhere on those courses that you feel yeah. there's, there's nowhere to hide. You can be on the top, you like must- the top of a mountain peak and there's like, 40 old french guys smoking cigarettes and waving eyeballs <laughs> at you it's so weird the need to shit must be so bad to go well there's people here watching me but i'm still going well i did try to hide it as much as possible and like ran up the edge of a trail um i'd actually just passed someone and i was like oh i'm into i didn't even remember what position it was and i was like oh, i'm moving up i'm doing good and then i was like oh no 
And it was, <laughs> I mean, uh, any, any runner, I don't care what they say, people, people won't admit it, but any runner who's done long runs, like you said, Jack and Aiden, you can attest to it. Some days it's just, it's not waiting for anyone. Um, and I think in ultra races, it's particularly true. You're out there for so long. It just gives so much more time for things to be able to go wrong that, you know, it's, it's undeniable that one day it's, it's probably going to happen and it's not fun. Well, like I know I can't relate to what you guys do. Not at all. It's, you know, the longest run I've done has been about 40 K. Um, and, and even that, like that was one of the hardest things I ever did. Um, but there was this one day I was going for a long run here in Ballarat and <laughs> I, I'd been drinking kombucha for the, the three weeks leading in and I'd, I'd gone for a couple of runs and, you know, I'd get four or five K in and like my gut would just completely go to crap. Like it was so bad. And like even just day to day, it was pretty bad. And I'm like, what's going on? I couldn't figure out what had changed or why it was happening. And, and then one day I was going for a run, uh, with a girl I was seeing at the time uh, and we did a 14K loop and about 8K, <laughs> about 8K in, like you said, Blake, sometimes it doesn't wait for anyone and I'm there running alongside a girl who I'm into at the time and, you know, who we, we'd driven her car to where we started the run. So I was pretty aware I was going to have to get back in her car and I didn't realise that it was coming and, before I knew it, it, it had come and I didn't even know that, that it was happening and it was too late. So there's a little bit of, you know, in my pants and we've still got 6K to go on this run and I'm standing running right next to her. So, uh, yeah, we, we're, we're running and I'm just trying to hold it together and I'm trying to think, like, what do I do here? Like, what excuse can I make to somehow get to a toilet or to a bush but there's I'm like there's no toilets here we're out in the middle of the Ballarat bush and so anyway I just kept running and I I kept and then I was like oh my Achilles is sore and so I stop <laughs> and like stretch my Achilles a bit my Achilles was fine best it's ever been but just to try and settle my gut down so I didn't explosively destroy my pants at the time and anyway I managed to get back to the, the car with her but I had sort of started to run five six meters to to, her, to the other side of her when we were running really close and talking and then we got back in the car. I'm like, oh, it's so hot in here, isn't it? And put down all four windows. <laughs> I'm so hot after that run. <laughs> and anyway, she never knew about it, but she's probably listening now and she'll know who she is. So, yep, I uh, shat myself. It was probably a Ballarat winter too where it was like a, a max temperature of about <laughs> negative one sleeting sideways. And Jack's getting Literally in the car was. with shit in his pants <laughs> going, oh, it's so hot in here. <laughs> It was Wednesday morning, 5.30 in the heart. Yeah. I've, I've been there, man. The, I've been there. <laughs> you should have just pulled the, ah, uh, I'm going to, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to run long today. I'm going to move my long run today. <laughs> yeah, okay. But what you got to understand, Blake, is that my, it was every single step I took for the last 6K was serious threat of explosion. Yeah, but once you was gone, you could have just, meandered through the Unleashed. bush just disgracefully and found your way back you know how far the middle of that bush is from my house in ballarat it's like oh. that turns a 16k run into a 40k run real quick Ultra run, there you go. <laughs> yeah uh, anyway <laughs> anyway uh moving on uh what's another question yes shoes so we know how big a, a bigger deal the that footwear is in the the road running world at the moment like 
for the last three years, there's I don't think there's ever been a, a period of time in the the running shoe world where shoes have been talked about more. How does that translate across to the trail? Um, are you guys as obsessive with your shoe choice? Is there certain shoes that everyone wants to be racing in? Is the technology advancing there in, in the same sort of way that it is out on uh, the roads? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, uh, I guess just to let you know, Blake, before, uh, before I answer this question, I still drink guava, but I've switched it <laughs> to a guava seltzer water now. Oh my gosh. Oh, dude, it is the best. It is the best flavored seltzer water, dude. Guava. I, I just love guava, but uh, stay away from the syrup. <laughs> and now I'm doing the seltzer water so I can rehydrate myself better after runs. But uh, that's a good idea. Yeah, dude. Get on it, man. It's the trick. I'm telling you, it's the trick. <laughs> so, no, but, but shoes. Yeah. I mean, luckily enough, like I, uh, I'm sponsored by Hoka and Hoka is an amazing company to be sponsored by. Um, they invest so much into the sport. Um, they're investing a lot into shoes and technology and just trying to up the sport and up the game, especially in the trail running world. Um, they're soon coming out with a shoe called the Tecton X, which is an amazing shoe that has actually has a carbon plate in it, but it has a dual carbon plate. Um, I've been wearing them and running in them and testing them out. What that dual carbon plate allows you to be a little bit more stable on the trails um, so you're not going to roll your ankle, you know, you're, you're able to run faster on the trails and still have that stability and still have the confidence to be able to set, descend like you need to on technical terrain. Um, but yeah, the shoe is about to be released. And to be honest with you, it's, it's fast. I mean, it's amazing. It's lightweight. It's very, very responsive on the trails and it will for sure be my race day shoes, especially for um, stuff where I'm mostly going to be doing a lot of running in. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, you're seeing that the technology is going over into the trail running world. Um, you know, I, th I think companies like Hoka are the, the, you know, the front runners in that and really pushing the technology. And luckily for me as an elite athlete, I'm able to test out a lot of this product, give feedback, um, you know, give them a lot of advice on, on what we want as, as elite athletes and, and put a lot of say and in, in, into, into the product and development and they listen, you know, a lot of the stuff that's been developed over the year, like the Evo speed go that came out from Hoka, you know, that was a lot of the elite athletes doing, you know, giving them advice on the shoe and, and helping them, you know, lighten it up and, and have it more breathable for, for when we run through rivers and stuff like that, um, more, you know, drainable. And, uh, anyways, yeah, I, I think, uh, shoes are so important. Your feet, honestly, and your nutrition are the most important things in ultra running. And we're seeing that, you know, these companies are up in the game. Uh, shoes are, are getting better and uh, the, the traction and everything else on the shoes is just top notch now. And we're, we're seeing a lot of course records getting broke performances, just, uh, you know, people are up and up in the performances. And I think a lot of it is because of the shoes and the technology as well. So with the road, obviously in a road shoe, all you want really to, if you're going to run a PB in the marathon, all you want is a shoe that's comfy or at least somewhat comfy and fast. But out on the trails in these mountainous 160K races, 100K races, what's the hierarchy of importance in a shoe? Is comfort number one? Is traction number one? Is is speed number one? Is, is you know, 
density of the foam is is you know sort of stability in the upper what, what's the hierarchy what do you sort of look at as the most important thing and and then write down through to things that you don't really think about oh i'll jump in there um it's uh going going into what you said um back to your original question a bit how you know you're sort of looking at particular models and whether there's something in the trail world that like everybody wants I think that's really different. Um, you know, having worked in the shoe industry a bit um, with you, Jack, as well, we you know, working in the running company for 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 a long time. You really see these trends, and you know, like when you know the new Nike racing shoes were coming out, when they were you know they'd gone to high stack heights, they were getting carbon plates in them. Their attention to those and the amount of people wanting them, even when they simply were not the shoe for them was in, was incredible just because of the marketing hype. Um, like people saw those shoes, they saw people running fast in them. And I honestly think that probably 70% of people that run marathons in them don't even find them that comfy, but they think it's going to get them a better result. So they'll, so they'll wear them like at the, at the expense of all their toenails and all the skin on the bottom of their feet. Um, in trail, I think it's really different. Um, Whilst like Hayden was saying, the, the companies are coming up now, like Hoka and I run with North Face and they, you know, they've got numerous shoes that have carbon plates in them now, which are undoubtedly improving the, you know, the economy of the shoes and, and they are making them faster. But at the same time, I think in that hierarchy that you're talking about, it's comfort over all else in the in ultras is, is like the most important thing. So whilst the companies are putting these, you know, really high tech, you know, carbon fiber plates into shoes to, you know, improve the propulsion and improve the responsiveness in them. If they're not comfortable, then you might get away with it in like a half marathon or a marathon on the road, <laughs> maybe not in a marathon, but in a, in a trail ultra, if you've gone for something because it's 10 grams lighter, even though it's too narrow, um, just because it's got, you know, it's got slightly more breathable upper and the, and you think it's going to be that, you know, it's, it, it, it's going to be the difference. You know, you can, you can guarantee that having a shoe that's too narrow and losing every single one of your toenails and just having completely massacred feet is going to be, it's going to lose a lot more than the time you're going to make up by, by going lighter. So fit is, you know, fit is number one. And that's where, like Hayden said, it's, you know, you need to be able to look through the ranges and, you know, find what works for you. Um, it's being being comfortable in the right shoe that's what's going to actually make the difference because it's a factor that can fully derail you just like your nutrition but you know you 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 can't afford to skimp on it in those really long races yeah and you also i'd say also you need to make sure that you're looking at the race that you're doing you know you might use a different shoe for a short mountain race than you do for a hundred mile race um you know the same shoe doesn't work for every distance or every type of terrain you know, a lot of these companies, they make all these different types of trail route uh, shoes from, you know, lower stack height to high stack height, you know, to this and that, you know, the traction on the bottom of the shoe can make a big difference. And so you want to be confident and you want to be comfortable, like Blake said, in the shoe and, uh, you know, making sure that, you know, there might be a different type of shoe you use for different type of event. Um, like I won't use the same shoe at Western States that I would at UTMB. You know, at a race like UTMB where I'm out there for 20 plus hours, I'm going to use something with a little bit higher cushion, you know, maybe a little bit more plush and comfy, but also a little bit 
better traction, like maybe something like the, the Mofati from Hoka, you know, but a race like Western States where it's more runnable and fast and I'm only there for 14, 15 hours, I might use something like the Tecton or the, you know, the Evo speed goat, that's maybe a little faster, um, you know, and maybe just a little less traction because I'm not going to need it as much in a race like Western States compared to UTMB. And so something that I like hear about a lot, um, and, and like Blake said, I've, I've worked in the, the running shoe industry a little bit with him, um, changing shoes during an ultra at the professional level, at the pointy end of the field, are you guys, um, are you guys uh, during so, sort of any aid station stops or that type of thing, changing the shoes you're wearing or are you picking a shoe and sticking to it no matter what? Or, you know, are you, are you sort of taking multiple options because maybe the, the terrain is different at one end of the race versus one, the other end of the race or, or just in case, you know, you get halfway through and think, nah, this is the wrong shoe. I need another option there. Uh, I'd say for like hundred K plus races, I will do a shoe change. Um, in every one of my, my big wins, like I've done a shoe change. It's worked for me. Um, I honestly, it feels like you're, you're starting the race over again, you know, and, and it, it kind of, more maybe it's more mental than anything but you just you put that new shoe on I, I usually put a new pair of socks on put a new shoe on and just honestly just feel like I'm, I'm fresh more fresh I'm ready to go I'm ready to push this last you know 50k or, or 50 miles or whatever it is so yeah usually about halfway I'll, I'll make a shoe swap and uh, it's usually the same shoe but just you know a, a more fresh pair of that same shoe um, sometimes though, you know, you, you could do something where you maybe switch into, uh, like for instance, at, uh, JFK when, when, which is actually a 50 mile and I made a shoe swap, but that was because the first, like, uh, what was it? 25 K of that course was on a pretty technical trail. Um, and then the last, uh, you know, what, what is it? Um, 55 K of that race is on a flat, like runnable path. Um, and, and some road as well, some tarmac. And so I made a shoe swap in there because I, I had to wear a trail shoe for the first, you know, 25 K. And then I had to, I switched into like a more road shoe, um, for the last, you know, 55 K. And so, yeah, there, there are some races where you have to do that, but yeah, I I've seen that it works for me. And, uh, you also just got to like, again, ultra running, if I can say one thing about ultra running, it's about meeting the demands. Yes, the training is important. Yes, it's, it's important to be fit on race day. But most important is to meet the demands of the race. And every race has different demands. And there's, there's you have to kind of, I make a list. I, I look at each race and I make a list and I say, okay, what are the demands of this race? And how am I going to, you know, train for that in my training? Like, how am I, what am I going to implement into my training to make sure I'm ready for that specific demand? If it's a shoe swap, if, it, if it's, you know, different type of terrain, if it's the heat, you know, I make sure that in my training, I do whatever it is to meet that specific demand that I, that I need for each race. And so, yeah. And sometimes that demand is swapping shoes or, or, uh, you know, making sure that you're ready for, for that, that element. Could you give us some other examples? So what are some races that you've written down that list and, and, you know, have had some particularly unique demands that you've had to make adjustments in your training for, or make adjustments in your gear choices for, or, or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess 
like for instance, I just did the, the Costa Rica coastal challenge, um, which is a stage race. And I did that in February. It's, it's one of the most competitive, but challenging stage races in the world. Um, it's in February. And, you know, I live here in, in North America where, you know, it's our winter, you know, in February. And so it's not hot. It's not, you know, it's really hard to train for the heat. Um, you go down to Costa Rica, it's extremely hot. You know, it's very, very humid. Um, it's, you're running through rainforest, you know, you're running through this, these crazy environment, um, you know, completely different than what I, I have here in North America. And so um, for a race like that, for instance, um, I was jumping in the sauna um, and doing heat training like every day, the two weeks, you know, leading into that race. Um, I was, you know, jumping on, I have a, a bike that I, that I use. And, uh, at the time, you know, I, I had this, uh, the stationary bike and I would jump on the bike, put all my clothes on, I'd put heaters, you know, facing me, um, and just sweat and sweat and sweat and get used to that, you know, heat. But at the same time, I was practicing my nutrition. I was practicing taking in liquids because I knew that that's what I would have to do in, in a race like Costa Rica. You know, for, for some of us, you know, elites that are, are very fortunate, and I, and, I, and I say this because we're very lucky and very fortunate to be able to do what we get to do for a living and, and have the funding and the support. You know, some of us, we can go to the race two weeks before and train for it, you know, and prepare for it um, in the specific climate. And, and I was able to go out, you know, I think 10 days before to Costa Rica to make sure I was prepared for that. But yeah, like a lot of the stuff I was doing at home, like sauna training, um, I was picking routes that were really similar to the different days that I would be doing out there, you know, because some of the days in the stage race were really flat. So I'd have a day where I'd go run really flat. Then the next day is really technical, really mountainous day. And so I would, the next day of training, I would go and do that. And then I'd go back to a flat day and then go back to a a very, you know, mountainous technical day. So that my body was used to doing it day after day after day and be able to switch back and forth from runnable to technical and mountainous. And then um, also, you know, with a stage race, you're running, you know, 50K a day. Um, and so there was moments in the training, not of course the whole block, but parts of the block where I was, I was doing back to back to back long runs to make sure that my body was learning how to recover, you know, in, in between each day and, and seeing how it reacted to different, different big days of training. So, yeah, that, that was, you know, one of the races um, that I had to prepare for. It was a little difficult, you know, under my circumstances living here in, in Utah, but I was able to prepare the best I could um, meet most of the demands that I could for the race. And, and in tune, I was able to go out and win the race and, uh, you know, I, I think that if you can focus on that and do the best that you can, um, that's what matters. And linking these sort of two things together and going back to what you were talking about at the start of the podcast. So you you really care about the footwear that you use and you're training for a race like that where, you you know, you might be doing 40 to 50K multiple days in a row and, and you're running about 35K a day, you know, 200K a, a week, you know, six days, six days, 200Ks over six days. How many pairs of shoes are you going through in training and how many different pairs of shoes are you wearing per week? Uh, yeah, that's a, a lot of shoes. <laughs> I actually, uh, we have this, uh, our local running store has kind of this like donation thing where you can go take your shoes in and I think they, uh, they donate a lot of them. Um, and then the ones that can't donate, they recycle. And, uh, 
I just took in, I think, four garbage bags full of old shoes. Um, that and that was just from last year. I think. <laughs> I mean, I'm going through a lot of shoes. Like, again, luckily, and I'm very grateful for Hoka for providing the footwear for me because I would be broke if uh, if they didn't, because <laughs> uh, the amount of shoes that that I I go through. Um, but yeah, that being said, I, I do switch off too. like, you know, most days I'll, I'll stick to two shoes. Um, I have one shoe that I love for the roads and I have one shoe that I love on the trails. And so most days I'll, I'll be with those, but if I'm going into a workout, like I will train with the shoe that I'm going to be racing in. Like right now it's the Tecton X. So most of my workouts are done in the Tecton X. Um, I'll do a, a couple long runs maybe in that as well to make sure that my body's prepared for, you know, putting on that you know that shoe that has a carbon plate it's a little different feel to it but yeah like I will I kind of have a little rotation you know if, if I'm doing a shorter run maybe I'll, I'll switch up the shoe a little bit but yeah I probably have I would say about four maybe five different shoes that I I like to rotate with per week depending on what I'm doing um, and I, I definitely make sure I keep on top of that if, if that shoe feels like it's gone uh, I'll track the mileage on the shoe too and if I feel like, you know, this, this shoe's at, at the end of its life, I'll, I'll throw it out, you know, get rid of it as, you know, maybe sooner than I should just to make sure I stay healthy because it's important to keep up on your shoes. That's the number one thing that's going to keep you healthy. And, and so me and Blake, we would be sitting in the running company in, in the, the shoe store, the running specialty store we work, worked at together. And a, a really common question we would get asked by people is, well, how much should I run in this shoe before I wear it on race day? Uh, we would probably get that asked that every day selling someone a pair of shoes. What's your take on that? Would you go into a, a, an ultra with a pair of your new Tecton X and, and would they be freshies out of the box or would you have put a few Ks into them? If so, how many? Yeah, I, I definitely would put a few Ks into them. I don't run right out of the box with shoes usually. Just, um, you know, I want to, I want to, wear out the insole just a little bit you know so it's not so i guess rigid and and you know i don't run into any blister issues but also like i want to get used to the shoe you know i want to make sure that the shoe you know has a few k's in it and I, that like you know it, it feels comfortable on the foot and uh that i'm used to it and so yeah like uh i usually will take out like my race shoe i would say two to three weeks before the race and, uh, you know, run, run some workouts in it, you know, run maybe one long run in it, make sure the shoe has a little bit of wear. And then, uh, that's the shoe I'll use for race day. I won't definitely, I won't use the shoe that I, I started the block with because that's probably pretty gone by then. And, and definitely want to have a, a shoe that's, you know, a little newer, a little bit more responsive, but something that's, that's not completely new. And do you have a um, like an upper limit of Ks you would do in a shoe before you stop wearing it? Does it vary shoe to shoe? And and if 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 you do or if you don't, what's the most amount of Ks you reckon you've ever put into a single pair of shoes? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I go by feel the shoe most of the time, but I do track it as well. Um, every shoe's different, right? Like every some shoes can handle more than others. Um, so yeah, like there's not like a set limit on, on every shoe, but I'd say the most I've ever put into a shoe is probably maybe 500 miles. Um, 
I don't know what that is in kilometers. What is that in kilometers? 800 Ks. 800 K. Oh yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 800 K is probably the, the highest I would ever go. And that's pushing it. You know, most of the time I'm doing closer to maybe 500 K in a shoe. And, and like sort of just full circling back, um, because we're, we're, again, we're talking about how much you run and, and I kind of wish I had have asked it when you were initially talking about your training, but if you're doing about 35K a day in these blocks, can you sort of take us inside what the specifics of that look look like a little bit? I know you've sort of talked about your long run a little bit, but that's a lot of running. Like how how, how many sessions are you doing and, and what are they looking like? And, and say, like, let's use Western States that you're preparing for now. What does a really typical training week look like for you, not just in terms of volume, but but in terms of nuts and bolts of, of day-to-day runs and sessions? Yeah. So uh, luckily for me, I have a great coach that I work with, uh, Robbie Britton. Um, so he's a British guy. He's based out of Italy. Um, amazing coach. He's got a lot of um, experience, especially in the long stuff. He's been, you know, podium at the 24 hour world champs. And uh, I've worked with him for uh, a few years now. And he's really helped me organize my training and and really helped me to establish that. And, and honestly, I, I could coach myself easily. Um, I coach a lot of people um, myself, and, and I really enjoy coaching. I have a degree in exercise physiology. I mean, I understand the basics of training, um, but I do think it's important to have a coach. I know a coach can, can see things that you can't see. Um, you know, he can give you some perspective on things, you know, he helps you organize things and he helps get your mind out of the picture too, is the biggest thing is, and that's the thing that Robbie does for me is like, I don't want to think too much. You know, I'd want to think enough, you know, that I'm invested in the training and making sure that I'm, I'm, you know, doing what I need to be doing, but I don't want to have to think about running all the time. You know, I have a family I have to take care of. I have a coaching business I run. I got life. You know, and and so to have somebody like kind of organizing that training that I can bounce ideas off of and that we can work together with, you know, really, really well with um, helps me a ton with my training. And, uh, you know, so like a typical week of training. um, Yeah, it depends on the phase of the block. You know, like right now I'm just building base. So I'm doing mostly a lot of easy days, um, throwing in some cycling in there as well. I use the bike a lot. Um, because the bike is a great way to to get volume in, but not completely beat yourself up. You know, you can only do so much with running before you you're you know you just destroy yourself. And so the bike has really helped me. And especially as I get older, like it's extending my career because I'm able to maintain and keep that cardio up, but also um, yeah, just not feel beat up. And so like a typical week, for instance, like let's I'll take you through a big week, let's say. So say I'm doing a 200 kilometer week. Usually I'll start off on Monday with, with a pretty easy double. So I'll do like, I don't know, an easy like 20 K in the morning and then maybe an easy like 15 to 20 K in the evening. Um, Tuesday will be like a workout day where I'll do like a pretty, you know, good workout, depending on what phase of training I'm in, it's, it'll be like a speed workout, like intervals or a tempo run or, or hill repeats or something that that's, it's pretty long though. It's, it's usually like 30 minutes to an hour of workout is what I would say. Um, and then 
maybe a bike double that day to make sure that, you know, I shake the legs out, get a little volume in Wednesday, another double run day, you know, Thursday will be probably actually Wednesday, probably be a little longer run with an, an easy short double. And then Thursday would be, um, like an easier double run day or, or a double with a, a run and a bike, let's say. Friday, I would do uh, maybe a short workout, or I would do that on Thursday, depending on the day, like Thursday or Friday, do like a shorter workout with some shorter intervals or some strides or something like that, um, double as well. And then Saturday would be my long run with maybe a double bike. So I'm doubling every day, either the bike or the running. And uh, so, yeah, not only am I getting 200 Ks of running in, but I'm also getting probably three to six hours of cycling in as well during the week. Yeah, that's, that's some serious volume. Um, <laughs> I mean, even as a, like you said, you've got a life outside of it. You're, you know, you've, you've, you've got a family, you've got a coaching business um, and you don't want running to be all consuming. Uh, especially you don't want to be putting in any more time than already doing however many hours that is per week. Um, that's, you know, it's, it's intense. Um, but kudos to you. I know my body would not handle that kind of volume. Um, yeah, look, so one more thing, Hayden, I know I'm going to go and round, round our way back to the, the whole Western States thing, because that's the impending race. That's your target event. That's something that's, you know, it's what was one of the two biggest hundred miles on the calendar. Uh, last year, I know that most people would have been stoked with your result, but I know you and I know you personally and well enough that you would have been pretty gutted by that result coming, I think it was 11th um, and things, you know, lead of being at the front early and the wheels falling off. So this year, what can we expect to see from you that's going to be different in your approach? How, how are you, how are you going to come into that race differently to try and make sure that, you know, something like that doesn't happen again? Yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> It was a, uh, it was a fun day until it wasn't right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, running in second place, you know, feeling strong, especially against a guy like Jim Walmsley, you know, he was running first and we ran the first 50 K together, had a great time. Was, I was feeling great, you know, was, was like, man, this is, this is going to be a, a day, you know, I'm going to have a great day. If I don't win, I'm going to take second, you know, to the, best Western States runner ever. Like that's okay with me. Like I I'm feeling really good today. And, uh, you know, at the end there, I was actually starting to catch Jim a little bit. So like it wasn't out of the picture that I, I possibly could have won that day. Um, but yeah, then at mile 92, the wheels came off, um, pretty much had to walk the last eight miles after sitting in an aid station for over an hour. Um, and yeah, that it sucked because I went from second, you know, saw all these people passing me and ended up finishing 11th, uh, had a big enough lead that I still finished there, you know, but, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was kind of disappointing, um, because it was one thing that derailed my performance that day. And that was, you know, going back to nutrition, it was dehydration. I got, I got too cocky. I would say I got a little too confident in myself at Forest Hill, um, for the first, you know, 75 miles of the, the hundred mile race, 
I was doing well on nutrition, was hydrating really well, was feeling pretty good. Maybe not hydrating as well as I should have, but enough. And uh, Forest Hill, I came in and I heard from somebody that Jim was hurting, that he was falling back, that he was losing time, and that I was, I was, I was picking up some time on him. And I was like, oh, I got to go. Like, I got to hurry. So I, I kind of rushed through the, the aid station there, a crucial aid station um, at Forest Hill. and my crew handed me two bottles, right? And I said, no, 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 I only want one bottle. And they said, one, like you need two, it's getting really hot. Like, and this is the hottest part of the course. And I said, no, 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 I, I only want one. Like I need to make up time. I can run faster with one bottle. You know, going back to what we've talked about with shoes, with nutrition, it was just a rookie mistake, to be honest with you. It's, some, it's better to carry a little extra weight or have a little heavier shoe if it's going to help you, you know, in the race. Um, but I, I got a little confident in myself that like, oh, I can handle the heat. You know, I I'm from the, the heat, you know, I grew up in the desert. Like I know how to do this. Give me one bottle. I can make it in between aid stations. I'll be just fine. Um, and they're like, all right, whatever. And so they gave me one bottle. I, I got on them after I was like, you guys needed to like force me to carry that bottle with me. Um, but I, yeah, I, I got dehydrated. I was not able to drink enough. I was going through that bottle so quickly, you know, literally within the first 10 to 15 minutes, cause it was so dang hot that I was running like 30, 40 minutes at points with no water. And it was aid station to aid station to aid station that I just kept doing that. And by the time I got to mile 92, I just completely dehydrated my system to the point where I couldn't function. I started cramping I couldn't even stay on the trail. Like I was swerving all over the place. I got dizzy. I was throwing up uncontrollably. I was just completely dehydrated. Uh, luckily was able to get to the aid station and the doctor there was like, you got to sit down and you can't leave this aid station until you've peed, until you've urinated. And uh, I, they just kept pounding water and, and, you know, hydration in me, you know, electrolytes and stuff. And, and finally, like after like, an hour maybe it was close to an hour and a half maybe even close to two hours I was finally able to pee and then they left me they let me leave the aid station but they, they made sure I had you know two bottles on me at least but uh that's exactly what happened you know it was it was completely dehydrated uh was the issue and you know honestly I don't need to change much but like going into this year like I'm gonna do the exact same thing in training that I did last year I'm going to you know be Cause I was prepared, you know, physically on a, on a fitness level, I was completely prepared. It was just the dehydration. So, um, the one thing I will change is, is I have gotten a sweat test done. Um, I've been focusing and practicing my, my hydration. That was one of the reasons I did that coastal challenge stage race was to really dial in my hydration and it worked extremely well there. And I was able to dial it in and I'll continue to practice the hydration. I'll continue to focus on the nutrition more. And honestly, that's the only thing I feel like I need to change going into Western States this year is just making sure I'm hydrated. And I think if I can do that, I can have a great race. And, and honestly, I, I feel like I can come away with the win. Hey, Hayden, speaking of the win, um, how much prize money are we talking for these really big ultra events? Like, is there, an, is there one ultra that everyone knows you go to that and you win that, you win this big prize check or are all the big ones sort of sim similar? 
Uh, <laughs> there's no prize money at Western States. So there's, yeah, there's nothing. Um, there's no prize money at Hard Rock. There's no prize money at Leadville. There's very, very little prize money at UTMB. Um, you're starting to see a little bit more prize money trickle into the sport. You know, they're, they're, they're starting to, you know, give a little bit back, I guess, to the athletes, which is, is really nice to see. Um, and, and we're, you know, but, but that's coming with the sport growing as well with more, you know, people coming into the sport, you know, more numbers in the sport, they're able to, you know, use a little bit of that, that extra money that they're making and put it into prize money which is awesome to see. And, and, and you're seeing like companies like Hoka, for instance, who's now sponsoring the UTMB world series They're they're pushing for more prize money, you know, to, to help give back to some of the athletes. But yeah, a lot of this, these these races are run just off of pure love for the sport, you know, off of pure, um, you know, passion. And, and, and I guess, uh, you know, I, I should say this, you know, winning a race like Western States or UTMB, even though there's not a lot of prize money, you know, if you are sponsored, there, there's quite a bit of bonus that you can be made from winning those type of races. And there's a lot of prestige with the races, you know, it's going to garner contracts, you know, it's going to help you to really build your, your legacy in the sport, you know, by winning these, these big races like Western States. So there is money to be made there but the actual races themselves don't provide a lot of prize money, if any. And, uh, but yeah, like, like for instance, last year I, I did do a race in Poland um, that somehow they, they got this crazy amount of prize money put in. They invited me to come out and I was really surprised that more people didn't do it. Um, I mean, it was kind of close to UTMB, so that's probably why, but I ended up going out and running this race in Poland and they had $25,000 for first place. And, uh, luckily I was able to come away with the win there and, and bring a nice check home, you know, and, and there are some races popping up like this race in Poland that are, are getting a good amount of prize money, you know, 10, 20, $30,000. And so it's, it's awesome to participate in some of those sometimes and, and make a little money. So take those of us in inside this like sort of, um, world, we don't really have any idea about where you're trying to make money through sponsorship from brands mainly. So someone at your level, you know, you talked about Jim Wormsley or, or, you know, Blake in a few years, probably. How do you, do you have multiple brands come to you or do, do, do you go to them? And then inside that, when you're sort of talking about contracts, is there negotiation about, well, if I win this race, can I get this bonus? Or if I win these races, do I get this bonus? How, how does it actually all play out? Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that this should be talked more about too in our sport. You know, you, I, I'm not, I won't tell you the specifics cause I can't cause it's in my contract with, with everything that I, you know, that I have, but I, I do think that people, you know, it is good. Thanks for asking this, this question because I think it's good for people to see, you know, how these elite athletes are making money. I mean, there's not a lot of, of athletes that are at, you know, making that type of money, like a sustainable amount of money that, that can support them and their families and whatnot. But there are like a couple handful, maybe, you know, in the entire world that are doing that, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be a full-time athlete and to be making enough to support me and my family. Um, but yeah, that's a, it's a good question. You know, um, with the, with how it works, I guess is, you know, so I won the speed goat 50 K 
back in 2016. That was my first big win. It was my first ultra. It's the most competitive 50K in, in North America and, and one of the most competitive in the world. I was able to go into that race and luckily, you know, win that race. And uh, I had a couple companies reach out to me after that. You know, I had a big win um, and they, they came after me and said, you know, one of them being Hoka was like, hey, we're interested in you. And uh, we started talking, negotiating a little bit with the athlete manager. And I was able to, to get a, a small contract, you know, and, and usually uh, you're signing these contracts for one to three years, depending on, you know, the level of athlete you are and what you're able to negotiate. You know, some athletes have agents, very, very few have agents they work with. Um, most of us are doing it, all the negotiating on our own and we're able to, um, you know, sign these, these contracts and in a contract, it depends on the athlete, of course, and, and what you're able to negotiate for, but most contracts include some type of stipend, you know, that you're receiving every year. Um, it also includes a bonus structure. The bonus structure is usually set out by the brand that you're working with. Um, they kind of have a sheet or something like that that tells you these are the races that we bonus. You know, it's usually the biggest races in the world. Um, some of it might include some of the races that they sponsor or something like that. Um, and there's tiers on the on this bonus structure of of certain races. And you know, we're not talking. I mean, some of the big races like Western States UTMB, you can make quite a bit, but all the other races. Um, you know, not including your, your local 50 K or something like that. You know, these are really competitive races that you met. You're going to have to go and and podium at, you know, and, and that can be very difficult. Um, and then also the contract might include some type of travel budget, you know, that helps you get to some of these races and that'll all depend on the level of athlete you are again, you know, some, some can include a, a film budget or a physio budget or something like that. You know, it just kind of depends on, if you're willing to talk and if you're willing to negotiate, I think a lot of think times is, is athletes um, in our sport, they, they need to talk, you know, they need to stand up for what they believe that they deserve and they need to see their worth. And I think if you can do that as an athlete and really, um, you know, open your mouth and, and negotiate and do what you need to do, like that's when you're going to maybe get a little bit more, um, you know, these NBA players and NFL players, that's what they do. You know, they fight for every dollar that they can get and, uh, and they're able to, to get it. You know, there, there is money to be made in this sport, but we have to, you know, stand up as a, a collection of athletes and we need to, uh, you know, really fight for what we believe that we're worth. And, uh, and, and also, but also make sure that you're performing and that you're, you're active on social media because you're not only getting paid for your performances, but you're getting paid for your involvement within the community. You're getting paid for your, your social media outreach, you know, and, and just being a good person and being active and, and striving to uh, be a professional. And, and that's what you're seeing with this sport. The more, the more you're into that, you know, the, the, the better you are at doing those type of things, usually the more money you're going to get paid. That's such awesome insight, and and thanks for taking us through that. Because yeah, like like you sort of said, and like I said, it's it's something that's not really talked about. It's um, 
it's almost like a, a little hidden part of, of being a professional runner that that no one has any idea about and, and everyone sort of wonders so yeah like you're you're as good as anyone in the in the trail world so thank you for taking us through that yeah and, and you know it's not like we're millionaires <laughs> to be honest <laughs> just to, just to clear that up you know we're definitely not making millions of dollars but you know sometimes if you're lucky enough you can make enough to support yourself and your family so uh, I wish you didn't say that because I was speaking of social media uh, to promote this podcast. I was going to say, you know, Hayden Hawks tells us about how he makes $2 million a year from Hoka contracts. Or- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All you need to do is I run wish. 200K <laughs> weeks and drink guava syrup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's moved away from the guava syrup. It's the. Uh, oh, he's on the guava seltzer. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, just a, just a couple of things to finish on. We are we're gonna we are gonna wrap up now. I've, I've taken up so much of your time, and I, I really value and appreciate it, Hayden and Blake. But um, yeah, another one speaking about these contracts and 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 that sort of thing. Um, about two years ago, Blake, who's sponsored by the North Face, promised me that he was going to get me a uh, North Face jacket, which I'm yet to see. <laughs> so I just wanted to put that out here in in the public setting, just to remind <laughs> you, Blake, that you did promise me, and it still hasn't rocked up at my house yet. Uh, so yeah, I got. I actually got a. I got a, a notice um, in the email about that, and it said it had been lost in transit, and I just never followed it up. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it actually. I did see my. I did see my dad wearing a new North Face jacket, <laughs> but I'm not sure where he got Don't that. Don't do so. this to me. I've seen a couple <laughs> of people you've given them to, and and every both both of those times I've seen, I thought I'm a better friend with with Blake than they are. Like that doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> hey thanks thanks for the north face jacket blake by the way yeah, <laughs> oh, don't do that to me hey <laughs> these people must be giving you something um, i've given you years of friendship unconditional love and friendship uh i'll try and get you a sneaky north face jacket mate make it happen now you've it. publicly shamed me <laughs> yeah i love north face as a brand so also if they just want to send me one they can send me one um, and then my last thing, Hayden, I wanted to ask you, did you see the video on Blake's Instagram of him, uh, hitting the deck at his last trail race? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, dude. Congrats by the way. <laughs> Thanks mate. For the, for the stack or for the win? I reckon the stack was better. For the win, dude. I don't know if I saw the, I don't know if I saw the stack, but I saw the win. Ah, oh, you so. need, you need to scroll across about two pictures on that post and watch me face plant. Oh, I see your knee. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> Hayden, watch this video right now and, and laugh live. It's one of the all-time hard stacks. Okay, I'll check it out. See, I don't understand. I I, I don't understand the whole the phrase stack. <laughs> that must be a, that must be an Aussie phrase because is that Australian? It might be. I I was like stack. What? Okay, well I'm trying to think in my head. Like, what does stack mean? I, I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah it just means falling over that's why i didn't get you get you at first but uh yeah that makes sense now <laughs> yeah make sure you watch it though um okay. yeah let's wrap up there boys this was an awesome chat um and and thank you for bringing me a complete uh rookie and, and someone who knows nothing about the sport of, of ultra running and trail running into your world and and giving me the time i value both of you for coming on here and, and really appreciate it and i learned a lot which is great like i I, it's not really why I do this podcast, but but a little side side benefit of uh, talking to people like yourself is that, that yeah I do occasionally learn some things and and I felt like over the last hour and a half I learned a lot a lot of things I didn't know so I really appreciate it and, and can't thank you enough especially you Hayden for waking up at about five a.m. to do this. 
Yeah, no problem, man. And and I'm hoping to get out to Australia, man. Like uh I've actually been talking to Blake about it and uh next like winter for us, I guess. So like maybe like February, March, April, sometime or that, that time next year. I'm hoping I can get out cuz I've always wanted to come over and do Ultra Trail Australia in May. And uh so hopefully I could come out and maybe do some training up there in Bright with you, Blake, and uh have a great time in, in Australia. I've, I've actually never been to Australia, but it's definitely on my bucket list. So, Oh, mate, get out here. It'd be unreal. We'll do another podcast live. I was going to say, I'll come and join you for a run, but I've just got to make sure I'm staying off the kombucha before that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Nutella. <laughs> yeah, but I'll get on the guava. <laughs> All right, boys. Thanks, thanks heaps. Have a good day uh, and have a good sleep, Blake. Yeah, thank you. Cheers, mate. See ya. See ya. See you guys.